0: Whoa!
1: And this is the Sunday in which we celebrate in the Byzantine liturgical calendar two great preachers, Saints Peter and Paul. We just came through a penitential period that prepares us for this feast of Saints Peter and Paul. And as I often do here, and I'd recommend to you a wonderful little book. It's been around for a number of years called The Liturgical Year of the Byzantine Slavonic Rite by Father Basil Sheregi. I had the privilege of knowing Father Basil Sheregi. And he wrote a brief book, very manageable, very informative book, about the Byzantine liturgical calendar. This is what he says for today's Feast of Peter and Paul. The Feast of Saints Peter and Paul came to be observed soon after their death. The Christians were mindful of the admonition of St. Paul, Remember your superiors who spoke to the word of God. That's from Hebrews 13:7. Since 258 AD, the feast has been kept in Rome on June 29th a day on which a solemn service was held. These special activities, as observed in Rome, are described by Prudentius. According to him, the whole city was in motion. The faithful visited the tombs of the apostles and in the two churches erected in their honor, pontifical mass was celebrated. As early as the 4th century, the martyrdom of Saints Peter and Paul was celebrated on the same day. We must add, however, there is no suitable evidence to show that they even died in the same year, let alone on the same day. Many of the fathers of the church held the opinion that though both apostles may have died on the same day of the month, they did so in different years. Although it is by no means certain that they did indeed die on the same day, their feast has always been kept in this manner as I mentioned, great preachers, Saints Peter and Paul, and tomorrow, as is always the custom, the day after a great feast, I oftentimes call it a liturgical curtain call. In other words, the figures involved do a bow. They come forward and do a bow. Well, tomorrow is called the synaxis of the 12 apostles. So Peter and Paul were, well, Peter was part of the 12. Paul, of course, came on his own in a special way. But tomorrow, in conjunction with this feast of Saints Peter and Paul, we celebrate all 12 of the apostles. We often do that. We take the characters or people related to the drama of the feast and they do what I call the curtain call. In other words, we observe them. It's like they take a bow. They were all part of the drama. So we recognize them. I mentioned that Peter and Paul, of course, were among many things great preachers of the word. We have with us today in Light of the East someone I consider to be a great preacher and speaker, not just because he happens to be my cousin, but he is my cousin and he is also a great preacher. And he's here to Talk with us, with between he and I, actually, the two Fathers Loya are going to talk about preaching, especially in the Byzantine church. I welcome to Light of the East my cousin, Father Joseph Loya. Welcome, Father Joseph. Glory to Jesus Christ.
2: Glory forever. Thank you, Cousin mm-hmm. Father Tom.
1: And introduce yourself. You're not a stranger here in Light of the East, but uh, refresh our memory a little bit about yourself.
2: My name is Father Joseph Loya. I am a member of the Augustinian Order, and I teach at Villanova University and I teach courses that introduce first-year students to uh, Christian theology in general, and then on an upper-grade level, uh, the Byzantine tradition in particular. Father Tom, you mentioned that we have really inspiring models for preaching, both in the saints that we celebrate today, and we've experienced good preachers in our own lives have been graced with that. I'm reminded of a story. It happened one time in which a small little girl met the, uh, the pastor after a liturgy and offered him her little piggy bank. And the, the pastor was very touched and said, dear, what is this for? And she said, uh, oh, I feel sorry for you. Every week my dad shakes his head and says, you're the poorest preacher he's ever heard. <laughs> So I would just like to maybe throw out a, a question, what makes good preaching and also what makes bad preaching?
1: Well, I would answer that, Cousin Father Joe, by some of my own personal experience, which I'm, I think is similar to yours, and that the response by people. Whenever people compliment us on a sermon, a homily, what is it they're saying? Why do they like it? Well, I find it two things. First of all, it seems to have touched their personal experience. In other words, they really relate to it and move them. And secondly, at least from my experience, you touch on something you're in, a, in a way that you're rather bold. In other words, you address something that they believe needs to be addressed the way it needs to be addressed for the benefit of all. In other words, people, they really want to hear the gospel preached. They want to hear it in an uncompromising way. So those are two things that I would say, at least in terms of reaction, how people who hear homilies claim them to be good, They say a good homily. Two thumbs on that,
2: uh, Father Tom. Also, uh, I think the personalization, in this sense, of the people who have been kind enough to compliment. Uh, said, it seems like you were just talking to me, saying something that I needed to hear Mm -hmm. at that particular Sunday morning or other uh, service. And so I think that is also a trademark of a successful uh, conveying of the word, saving word of God, which isn't
1: our words, of course, but rather God's words. For those listening. I would like to suggest something to you that that you do give reactions to priests when they preach or deacons when you hear a homily. One of the reasons is is because we're finding as priests, I'm sure you too, Father Joe, my cousin, mm-hmm. you're you're finding that the homily is become it seems to become increasingly more important today. I mean, it's always important, but I find that people really want to get something not in a consumer sense where they want to get something out of church otherwise they won't come there is that too but that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about where they really seem to want to be touched be moved they want to walk away with something that they can use somehow it changes them or transforms and gives them something that they can go back out there and and live and work another day and preach the gospel in their own way in their own lives in another day so the importance of homiletics i think is perhaps more important now than ever And also in that regard, many people will complain about that um, homilies are not so good, that preaching is not so good overall in the church.
2: You mentioned about uh, needing to take something away. Uh, It reminds me, uh, being the historian I am, uh, Cousin Tom, that in the early, early church, when the church was still being persecuted, people took home the holy gifts, the Eucharist uh, for uh, consummation uh, during the course of the week. They would also appreciate, I'm sure, taking home a living Mm -hmm. word uh, that really uh, informs their daily lives just as uh, thoughts, uh, elevated thoughts, and even the holy gifts Mm -hmm. in a very special way uh, uh, nourish them uh, in a spiritual way
1: Yes and it, it, when you come to church, come to liturgy as I often say to my cantors as I work with them to train them that remember that the two principal reasons why people come here, not not to be reductionist about liturgy but certainly two reasons people come to church, is for the word of God, to be nourished by the word of God, to hear the word of God, to be nourished by by a good homily, and also to receive God himself in the, in the Eucharist. So the the word is very, very important. And in fact, it's really since Vatican II and during Vatican II that the preaching and the word of God, that part of the liturgy, has been heightened and strengthened, I think, in the church. We, we tended to uh, maybe undersell it a bit, uh, but in, in uh, you know, years and years ago, but it seems to have been shorn up a lot since the second Vatican council. And one of the things that I find is that when you hear a homily, I have to admit, I can remember many, many of the homilies that I heard in my life growing up. I still remember them. And in fact, uh, one of them, as I mentioned before, we were talking before, one of them is by your own brother, Father John Loya, who is also another Father Loya. He's the brother of Joseph Loya. <laughs> He's the spiritual rector of the seminary in Cleveland, Ohio, for the Diocese of Cleveland. And he gave a homily some years ago. That I never forgot. It always echoes in my mind because it's very, very applicable and, again, very, very relevant. He, sim- he made a simple point, which is another sign of a good homily. It's a one point very well made, simple but yet profound. He talked about the word. He said, there is one word in the English language that shouldn't even be in there. It's the worst word in the English language. And he really set up the audience, you know, the, the people, the faithful for it. And then he came across with this word. They probably thought he was gonna say some bad word or whatever, but he came across with this word, enough. And then he developed that, enough, we say enough, we don't, we, we say, okay, I've loved you enough, or I've been kind enough, I've been patient enough, or whatever. And he really did a great job of unpacking why the word enough is not a good word in our vocabulary. I never forgot that, and it still mm. stays with me. And that's just one example. I remember homilies even as a child. Mm. Uh, so the power of a, of a homily, especially when there's a particular point that is made, that you walk away from, and usually people can grasp only one point at a time yes and and as an example of
2: ineffective i think preaching uh, that would be the flip side of the very pointed focused message is that i notice among my brother priests and i try not to fall in this temptation myself on uh, the high holy holy days yes. christmas <laughs> easter um, the church is usually very, very full and packed, and uh, new faces and a lot of uh, familiar faces that the pastor hasn't seen during the course of the year. Uh, <laughs> and the temptation is to, I call it the, the shotgun approach, the scattergun yes. uh, uh, sermon where the the preacher thinks, well, here's my opportunity to, to convey the whole catechesis <laughs> that they've been missing all year long, and it becomes overextended, overly, um, you know, unfocused, (laughs) and so the people pick up nothing, (laughs) and then they go home, and uh, very critical, I think uh, rightfully so, and they don't, you know feel compelled to come back for more nourishment. And so they come back next year for another uh, long, uh, unfocused,
1: uh, scattershot,
2: uh, you know, sermon.
1: And we don't want to extend, overextend into our break time here. So we're going to take a little break here. And when we return, Father Joseph and I, both Father Loyas, are going to talk more about preaching and homiletics, especially in the Byzantine
0: church. I'm Father Thomas Loya, here with Father Joseph Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission, is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by writing a check to Light of the East and mail it to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. With your help, we can keep light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. 60491, and may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics, seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loyup and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to TaborLife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T A B O R life at earthlink.net.
1: Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Tom Lasoya, your host here with Father Joseph Loya. And we're talking about preaching and homiletics. And during the break, Father Joseph, my cousin, was sharing with me a story uh, from actually from our brilliant producer here, Armin Chavatari. Yes, over lunch.
2: just recently, um, we had a chance to um, ask our uh, esteemed producer what he appreciates in a good sermon. And uh, he's a layman. And a layman he hears homilies. Yeah. Yes, and is a very uh, good judge, I think, of, yes, of good yes. homilies, effective <laughs> homilies. And what is it that he appreciates? And he, without uh, you know a blink, said a good story. Uh-huh. And what I think. Uh, makes a story effective is, first of all, everybody likes a story. And a story has a, a, a clear, usually beginning, a middle, and mm-hmm. an end. And that yes. three-fold structure is something that I personally uh, appreciate in hearing my brother priests preach. If mm-hmm. there is a rather clear beginning, uh, something that catches my interest, mm-hmm. a solid, substantial middle section, mm-hmm. and then An effective third part that sort of captures and concludes, maybe even reviews a little bit, which would be fine, and uh, just to put the the period on the message.
1: Yes, and you can embellish and unpack and add different points, but as long as you're making that one point with those three parts, I find that to be very effective, too, that you you have something at the beginning that grabs your attention, and I'm not talking about in a contrived way, necessarily. Uh, I mean, it can be creative things, but which we'll get to in a moment <laughs> but but it's it's to to grab their interest, uh, to give them then that that high point, you know the meat of it the message, and then to give that coda at the end, right. as you say, the exclamation point. One of the things also that I find with with homilies is that um, and I'm speaking as a priest now that, how to prepare for a homily. Oftentimes, of course, we're taught in the seminary and you get further instructions while you are a priest, you have enrichment instructions, you bring somebody, they always bring somebody in to speak to us priest about homiletics, and how we can improve on that, which is good. But the one thing that I find is true about, especially as as a priest who gives homilies, that's true about homilies is that homilies, they basically grow out of not just, well, I sit down, I'm going to make up my homily. I'm going to spend a couple hours here. I'm going to do my homily. Like I go into some kind of a homily closet and come out with a great homily. But homilies for me grow more or less out of my way of life, you know my priesthood, my, my experience of God and spirituality. And yes, we do go into that closet, so to speak, and and, and really work on it to, to hone it and to get your thoughts focused and so on. But it's something that is for me is 24-7. You find that too? Very much so.
2: Always looking around, being sensitive and attuned to current events, attuned to, for example, the questions that children ask. Mm-hmm. Since I suggested that uh, uh, in a three-part Homily to begin with an interesting grabber for mm-hmm. uh, an opening. Usually, children's questions I find very mm-hmm, effective. Yeah. For example, you know, what will happen when my pet dies? You know, where does mm-hmm. my where my puppy yeah. goes? You know, yeah. and that could be the springboard for a very very engaging sermon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I find that if you. You're addressing the children, you're also addressing the adults, Yeah, too. that's
1: right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's fun sometimes even to direct the homily entirely at the, at the children, and then yeah. the adults are more attentive a lot of yeah. times, but you're sure. really talking to yeah. the parents as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing uh, in terms of homily preparation is something that for us as Byzantine priests, we have a special gift, or maybe I should say advantage. I'm going to call it the uh, YouTube can be a great homilist, <laughs> simply by... Preaching in or being connected with praying in a Byzantine church. What I mean by that is this I'm going to refer to someone, a great name in the Byzantine church, Father Robert Taft, who is a Jesuit, liturgical theologian of great fame. And I heard him say something one time, which I was very gratified to hear him say because it's it's an approach that I have personally taken as well. He said, When we priests preach to prepare a homily, we should preach from three sources the scripture, of course. The liturgical tradition, meaning the art, the iconography, the liturgical text, the service, the tradition, the fathers, and thirdly from life experience, what is what is relevant. So I find that the liturgical texts are an infinite reservoir for homilies for me, and also as you're preaching, you've got a a stage there, you've got in a sense a building that is full of props. <laughs> Uh, You have icons, you have the icon screen, you have many things to refer to. You have the ritual, the text of the church, and and the prayer of the church. And these things become very, very powerful means of preparing for developing and, and delivering homilies. You find that as well?
2: Very much so. For example, with the Gospel of the Widow of Name, where the essence of the Gospel is the meeting of two... Processions. One mm-hmm. is a funeral procession led, in a sense, by mourning and death. And here comes Jesus, you know, leading another procession mm-hmm. full of, of joy mm-hmm. and life, and they meet. At the city gate. <laughs> well, uh, I'm standing in front of holy gates, yes. w- uh, the uh, in the icon screen, mm-hmm. and that's just too good of an opportunity to pass up, uh, <laughs> to point that out or sort of set up the the mind scene yes. uh, as they meet at the uh, city gates.
1: Yeah, it's the meeting point. The icon screen mm-hmm. is that meeting point of of heaven and earth, you know, yeah. the other world and this world. It it reveals in high, just like that procession. It the story of the widow at name, Cousin Tom, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. The church is a very serious
2: space, and the worship is profound.
0: Do you see
2: a role for humor? Oh, (laughs)
1: absolutely, yes. And how (laughs) so? Well, I think, first of all, humor is very much a part of our being human. It's a way of helping people to be receptive. I use humor sometimes purposely, and sometimes it just happens spontaneously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I find it is very, very effective. You're not out there to be a comedian, but to naturally, in, a, in not in a contrived way, but you can in a planned way, you can plan the humor, or in a spontaneous way, humor is very, very effective because it's very human. You know, when you think about when Christ spoke, he spoke in a way that he obviously understood humanness how we receive messages that's why he himself spoke so much in parables in mm-hmm. stories so humor i think is is very very effective in, in homily and again i'm not talking about contrive you're not there just to entertain and be a comedian it has to be natural spontaneous uh, consistent you know you can plan it but it has to be consistent mm-hmm. the point is not the humor but the humor yeah. is is i think a wonderful way to help convey a point
2: to share uh, my recent experience of uh, humor of the unplanned sort. Uh, I was giving a homily in the the context of a a high school retreat, and uh, this was at um, at the Jersey Shore, and uh, didn't have my homily notes with me. I was going to print them out, but there was no way to print them out. So I thought I would go high tech, and I flipped open my (laughs) Uh, laptop, and I accessed my text, you know, which I had saved on the cloud. And I says, "Well, this is my encounter with modern culture, and culture is going to help me with this sermon." And so I was uh, sermonizing from my text off my laptop, and I was—I was—I thought I was on kind of a roll, and all of a sudden, Microsoft sends me a pop-up right in the middle of the, my <laughs> my sermon, you know, covers the whole screen, and. I say, I got to pop up, and every you know, uh, if I didn't have the attention of 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 you know the <laughs> congregation at that point, I certainly did that, and they, uh, they all reacted in a way that they appreciated being there and could feel for me. Yes, uh,
1: <laughs> and in fact, using props is very effective too. And again, is just like with humor, it has to be natural and uh, planned. It can be spontaneous, but it can't be just for the the sake of effect. But it can be, I think you can use anything. I mean, Christ even, you know, he pointed to the fig tree. You know, he took a child to himself. So he used things and people to get across the point. I've even climbed up scaffolds and preached from there. <laughs> I had a scaffold because I paint icons in the church. One Let day, me guess, the chaos. Yes, <laughs> it was, it was a chaos. And just recently, Father Joe, I heard that one of our, our brother Byzantine priests also used a scaffold that was in the church, too. Mm-hmm. And he climbed up and... And it was on the feast of St. John Climacus, St. John Mm -hmm. of the Ladder. (laughs) But you have to be careful sometimes what you do. One day I had a new bell system put in and I had the remote for it. You know, I had it hidden in my hand and I was making a point. I was especially trying to get through the children. So I had said something like, I'm going to pray to God that the bells will ring in our church. You know, please, God, please ring the bells. And of course, I had the remote in my hand. They couldn't see it. And I hit the remote and then the bells began to ring. So, of course, the children were just amazed by that. Well, after liturgy, one of the boys was sitting in a church. Everybody was gone. He was sitting there going, please, God, please make the bells ring. Please make the bells ring. <laughs> Sometimes you got to be careful what yeah. you do, especially with That's children. You know, it's a lot of fun, but they can take things very literally.
2: <laughs> I'm aware that we're coming near the end of our time. I'd like to share one more story with regard to this point. You mentioned that we priests have to be prepared, and we prepare all week long. I think uh, the lay people should be prepared on how to hear a sermon properly. Uh, This is, um, if you can um, uh, be patient with another story. Mm -hmm. The story is the one in which uh, the uh, pastor, after liturgy, went to the back of the church uh, to greet the people as they were going out. And uh, one woman came up and said, thank you, thank you so much, Father. Uh, I really your sermon, I really found God in your words. And, uh, well, that's the best thing that, you Mm -hmm. know, any priest could hear. And then the next gentleman came up and he said, "Uh, too bad, Father. You know, that was a shame. You lost your place once. (laughs) Uh, You mispronounced two words and you made three or four mistakes in grammar. So two people looking for two different things in a sermon, one looking for God, finding God, Mm -hmm. and one looking for mistakes and Mm -hmm. finding mistakes. So uh, perhaps we could, uh, a pastor, during the course of the uh, teaching uh, and forming his uh, flock, Mm -hmm. uh, what to look for in a sermon. And, uh, And if we look for Christ, we'll find Christ in the Word, in ourselves, and in each other, which is, I think, the ultimate uh, lesson.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much, Father Joseph Loya, my cousin, for being with us here. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the
0: East. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media.